0: this day prior welcome to the podcast of Doom this thing is never gonna happen. Um, Lee Lee is here so Lee thank you for being so patient and taking your time out today.
1: Of course thank you.
0: Um, this is our I think fifth attempt at starting this podcast. It keeps kind of stiffing on us, but we're gonna try to make this work. So um <laughs> Lee is chief of staff at onpay, and we're gonna talk all about how she's been able to apply agile practices, even though she's not directly working on Scrum or Agile Teams, and also probably segue into how she's been able to use that stuff outside of work. So for anybody who's going through the process of trying to get their head around how to do this, and if you feel like There's not a ton of opportunity for you to do it on teams. There's plenty of other ways that you can start to implement the things you learn about when you take a CSM class or a CSPO class. Um, And so, Lee, before we jump into all that, would you mind explaining to these kind people what a chief of staff actually does?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because, well, it is very different depending on which organization you look at. So. It is kind of a generalist role, at least um, for me, a lot of the work is driven based on what my, it's on my CAO's plate. So it could be more tactical things that I take on to give him time to focus on other things or work that doesn't really have clear placement within the organization and is mostly cross-functional. So leading some of those strategic initiatives and allowing for him to really only step in when his expertise or decision making is needed. Okay. Um, has really been my objective, really in order to create more efficiency and productivity for him, and then just at large being more mindful of of the organization and thoughtful of maybe some initiatives that that we should be um, focusing on.
0: Okay, so you're I'm assuming you're juggling a bunch of different things at any given time, and that most of them are not software, like you're not producing software.
1: That's accurate. (laughs)
0: So what, could you give an example, like the kind of project, like maybe a project you're working on right now?
1: Yeah. I mean, so some of it is still within, within, um, you know, product. So we are trying to optimize how we're using our tools. So whether it's JIRA or Monday and things like that. So that kind of spans not just the dev team, but also product strategy and our program management, um, practice. So how that all kind of ties together within tooling, that's been a big focus lately, Um, But then also on kind of outside of tech, to your point, um, we have been working um, with some of our service and other operational teams around their like internal communication and interaction and things like that.
0: Okay. So my understanding of of OnPay is that it kind of, it's not that old. I mean, like less than 10 years old and starting out as like a startup in this space, it's grown pretty quickly. And I'm assuming you've had to incorporate Agile as it's grown within the organization.
1: Yeah, that's that's correct. And I guess you know, really, before we get into that, something that I think is important to kind of preface this with is why you maybe would even want agile or Scrum in non-dev teams. And yeah. to me, and for onpay in general, other than keeping the client at the forefront and being very client-minded, both in our solutions and our operations, it's to you know promote empowerment within the groups and therefore okay. also ownership. It's to promote a duration of the process. It's to break the work into measurable pieces, and really by doing all of those, you're increasing efficiency, you're you're boosting team morale, you're creating the ability um, to evaluate more empirically.
0: So you've got a bunch of different service teams that you're working with, and you're trying to get them to incorporate these practices. Um, how are you kind of onboarding them with the process? Like how does how does that happen?
1: You know, obviously the example that we're we're taking is is a service teams, but that is. The distinction that's important to make before even embarking on this project of transformation, or you know, instilling the process in the first place, um, the distinction between whether it is a service team or an operational team, because for the service teams in particular, uh-huh. you know, when we think about scope, resources, and time as your three variables. In the service environment, you know, often your your scope is fixed because the client is having a very specific issue and you probably have SLAs you have to adhere to. So really some of the scrum principles like, you know, value-based prioritization and even self-organization when it comes to the process as a whole kind of gets blown out the window. So in those cases, the exercise is how can we accomplish agility at kind of that more micro level? So- Okay. Meaning, you know, what's the common denominator of activities that we perform holistically that yeah. amount to some sort of repeatable process? And then within those verticals, we can create self-organizing groups that, you know, may include varied levels of experiences. And by that, then you're fostering proactiveness, you're promoting empowerment, you're allowing for creativity and how we achieve, you know, the objective of answering the client at the right time. Okay. And then you're you're kind of capitalizing on the collective knowledge of that group, which is ultimately kind of what we're trying to accomplish.
0: Okay. So I want to try to say it back and, and make sure that I'm getting it right. And also hopefully explain some of this, some of the complications to the people that are listening. So sure. normally on an agile team, we'd say like, you can have, you can have fixed time, you can have fixed cost, but the scope is going to be flexible. Um, the team's going to do as much as they can do. But in your case, with some of these service teams, because there's SLAs, something goes wrong. You, you don't, you've got three different constraints that have to be hit. You've got a fixed scope that has to be hit. You have fixed time or no time. And the yeah. cost is not something you can play with either. So then it sounds to me like what you're saying is it's up to the teams to figure out like, what are you going to do?
1: Right. Yeah. So okay. we kind of like, you know, as I mentioned, we kind of break down their process. And so within, within kind of the verticals of what this, the issue might go through, we then kind of create those, those teams that, you know, within them, they're they're kind of empowered to come up with with the with the solution, right? We still have to adhere to the SLAs to your point and all that. Mm-hmm. But within that time frame, like it's kind of up to them. And that's kind of where the agility, I guess, comes in.
0: Okay. And are these fairly stable teams? Like they're this group of people are always together and you give them a problem because they're they're available and there's a problem that seems to fit with their skill set. Or are you building the teams on the fly?
1: So they're pretty fixed.
0: Okay. They're pretty- Yeah. So then they get to have that, to go through those different states, to get to a performing state. So whatever problem comes down the pike, they know each other well enough to know what they can and can't do. Right. Okay. I think that that's a really important lesson too, because there's a lot of organizations that are always swapping people around and you're never going to get to that performing state if that's always happening. So you've at least got the consistency from the communication patterns and they can build trust and respect and and in terms of empowering them because they know each other it's e- easier for them to like take this ball of mess and figure out what to do about it
1: <laughs> right and that's why i guess we kind of have at least a somewhat of a combination of of levels right because then you have the people who are you know more senior or more experienced um in the mix to help with kind of the the teaching and the coaching and being on the floor with those who are you know maybe new and aren't as familiar with some of the things that come come through
0: Okay. So if you bring somebody new into the team, it's it's the rest of the team's job to kind of coach them up, teach them how we're going to work, get them up to speed on everything. Instead of one person saying, this is exactly how we do everything.
1: Right. I mean, yeah, it's it's always going to be a combination of that, but yes. Okay.
0: okay. <laughs> what are the kinds of problems that these teams run into? And like, how, how critical time-wise are they? Is it like, oh my God, the whole thing went down, like fix it right now? Or do they have, you know, weeks or months to be able to build a solution for something?
1: So some of the things they do have more time but then others it's just like you know we're we're a we're a payroll HR and benefits platform for small businesses. So okay. you know especially because it's small businesses a lot of the times um the the owners or whoever it is that's kind of running running the account you know may not know a lot of the intricacies and the nuances. So I mean it could be anything as simple as like I can't really log in, can you help me with it?
0: Mm-hmm. Or
1: like oh, I'm having some payroll related issue, or I'm having some tax issue, you know, so it's, it kind of varies.
0: Okay. So I'm assuming since it's small business, you have, you have some clients who they know what they're doing. They're just like, I need the thing, give me the service or the functionality or whatever. And you can do that. But I'm also guessing that you have some small businesses where you become like a trusted partner. They're looking to on pay to be part an extension of their business. And that's going to involve some aspects of being able to provide advisement or coaching for them as they grow their business.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, for us, it's really that balance of when do we insert ourselves and okay. when do we kind of let go? Um, so, you know, we're definitely mindful of that, both in how we service our customers. Those are just, you know, Chat, send us a chat or call us on the phone, um, but also as they're kind of onboarding, right? So trying to balance holding their hand versus just kind of letting them run with what they need to.
0: Okay. Um, now with the work that you have to do day to day, like how does how do the agile practices fit in with that as chief of staff?
1: I think things that that are, are top of mind for me when it comes to just agile practice as a whole and what I think it is intended to do other than be you know, variable in scope is also somewhat of what I mentioned earlier in terms of empowerment, Mm -hmm. because I think really the subtext of empowerment to me, at least is kind of empathy. So empathizing with those around you and kind of how they feel, how they operate, um, the ideas they bring to the table, giving them the opportunity to show up and, you know, definitely at work with all, you know, the teams that I work with. Okay. but that's also, you know, that also could be a home, right? Like with your spouse, with your kids at school, playing sports, you know, all those things.
0: So that's an important aspect of this that I don't think, I mean, if you just read the Scrum Guide, it's kind of hidden in there. But right. the idea of, and maybe that's what, you know, we mean by servant leadership, but you are there to help create an environment and hold a space for groups of people and your customers to be able to fill that space and take ownership of their own destiny.
1: Yeah, in a way, yeah.
0: Okay. So I'm wondering like how you go about seeing that stuff and doing that stuff. Because I know a lot of people, they just go straight down the command and control path. Like that my go-to is I'm just going to tell you what to do because I know how to solve this problem. And I have have had to train myself to like shut my mouth and let people find their own path, which is hard, right? Especially if you're chief of staff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And especially being you know, a competitive type, a person, uh, that's very hard. Cause in my mind, I'm trying to be a few steps ahead. Right. And if I see that we're at a, and knowing that we need to get to Z, it's right. a lot easier for me to probably go out and tell you how to exactly get to Z. But I think part of the the empowerment and, and the empathy is kind of breaking down the exercise and learning from it, hearing what other people have to say, and finding that maybe the point isn't Z, it might be like totally different. It might be 17. The, the, allowing for the scope to evolve, but also defining your outcome rather than your precise solution um, has been definitely a mind shift for me. But I think that's that's been the approach that I've found to be at least more successful at large.
0: <laughs> okay. And am I am I correct in thinking that you're seeing a distinction between like, here's the problem that's right in front of us. And the bigger, longer game that I'm trying to win is getting this group of people, this organization to rise up and, and feel comfortable taking leadership role and figuring out and stumbling here and there, but learning and evolving.
1: Right, and and so I mean, and a lot goes into that, right? There's a lot of nuances of what risk are we willing to take with this learning curve, right? Um, but again, I think as long as we're pretty clear as far as the outcome we're trying to achieve, mm-hmm. as long as it's you know measurable, the steps that we're taking are measurable, that we have our kind of milestones at least somewhat defined, and we're kind of like going along and defining them further as we go. Yeah, um, I think that helps us achieve that.
0: Okay, so I want to kind of jump the tracks a little bit to give people sure. an example of how this might happen outside of work. Because this sure. is when, when you and I have talked about this before, you've got examples of how the same things you're dealing with at work, you're dealing with at home. And right. can you maybe tell the story about your your son and, and his words that he's trying to get <laughs> sorted out on? Because that to me is a great example of the same, it's the same class of problem, it's just in a different environment.
1: Right. Yeah, uh, definitely. Definitely different environment. So, I mean, I think the the concept of self-reflection and adapting to that, um, you know, goes hand in hand with everything we've been saying. And so the kind of the example with my son is he, he is in kindergarten and he has to to learn these sight words um, that are, you know, the words that you just kind of see and have to know. You don't really read them. So he kind of has to basically memorize them. Right. Um, and so he doesn't want to do it and he's overwhelmed by it. And, you know, the first go-to is like, all right, well, if you need to know them, then we're just going to sit here and we're going to learn them until you know them. Right. Um, But that creates a lot of contention and a lot of just negative feelings (laughs) that, that make it even worse. So empathizing with him and kind of taking the moments to reflect and build incremental improvements, you know, really what we kind of came to is okay, well, let's maybe, you know, and to me, I'm thinking like, I've done this before. Like I've worked on a scrum team. I've broken things down. Like I can do this with him. Right. So, you know, maybe we take three words at a time and we see how well we do and we kind of celebrate our victories, but then we also think about, oh, how can we, how can we do this again, but make it even better next time. Right. Um, so it's that, but it's also kind of recognizing the, the readiness so whether we were doing this right when he comes home from school is probably not the best time, but also before bed is not the best time. And then, you know, he's not ready to see a giant list because that's overwhelming. So kind of assessing the readiness as well as we go, because now what we do is we use flashcards at breakfast um, okay. because that seems to not only be the right time where he's kind of mentally prepared to kind of sit and do it, um, but we also are able to make those incremental improvements,
0: Okay. There's like a whole bunch of things you just said that I want to talk on. stop like a couple different places along the way. Yeah, sure. Um, I want to talk about resistance because that is something like when you tell this story about your kid, I immediately in my head go back to when I was, I think in fourth, no, maybe fourth grade whatever age I was when I had to learn multiplication. Sure. And <laughs> I couldn't, couldn't do it. I mean, I, my parents forced me to sit at this you know, desk in the basement every night and just memorize stuff. And mm-hmm. it's still all these years later is like, I look back on it, same as Latin in high school. Like I freaking hate that moment of my life. Um, right. And with what I know now about people evolving and learning and changing is there's another way of approaching that where they can find their own reward for it. But whether you're talking about a kid memorizing, you know, the shapes of and or or but, and uh, somebody who's deeply steeped in waterfall having to completely switch everything they know to learn how to work in Agile, that mm-hmm. resistance is something that the more you fight against it, the worse everything gets.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: So how do you cope with that with people at work when they're pushing back on it? Like, how do you how do you first notice it, and then what do you do within yourself to to figure out how to respond to it?
1: I think noticing is fairly easy. I think when you're kind of sitting in the room and you're like, maybe, maybe presenting something or talking about a concept and people in the room are starting to ask you like, well, wait, why? Like, where is this coming from? Like, what are we doing? You know, that's kind of probably your first sign that they're not understanding yet, or they're not bought in or they're not ready. And so then it's kind of taking the moment to empathize with maybe where they are at on Mm -hmm. their Journey and their kind of curve in terms of you know agility, right, and being pretty intentional within kind of the next steps of of what you do from there, right, and maybe it's just gentle conversations around. Well, maybe let me understand you and where you are right now and your workflow right now, and then you know it might be okay. Are what are the things that you're experiencing that might be obstacles or you know inefficiencies or gaps that, that you currently have in your work and I think kind of building on that empathy to then kind of course correct in their process yeah um, seems to seems to bode better with with people
0: <laughs> okay I think I mean to me that's like a great example of why scrum master, or somebody in that kind of role, it's a full-time job. I and mean, the stuff you're talking about is not in the scrum guide, but everybody who's good at being a servant leader to other people knows that you have to tune yourself to to folks and you right. can't say to a five-year-old, like just have a growth mindset. Like, that's not going <laughs> to work. Like, <laughs> And right. how you explained to me, like, you know, me freshman year in high school, like why Latin supposed to be valuable, which it never ended up being valuable, but everybody kept saying, you're going to use this for the rest of your life, no. Um, right. <laughs> But finding that intrinsic thing for them, that's the win that gives them a reason to pursue this, even when there is resistance and it's hard, that takes right. a lot of time and effort.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, I think it's applicable at, with, with everything in life, everything that pretty much comes out of our mouth, like the person receiving it kind of mm. has to be ready for it or else there's just, there's just a wall there being at least conscious of that as a whole yeah. um, has been pretty interesting.
0: <laughs> did you have somebody who did that for you? Like when you were coming up either in school or in work who, who would notice like, Oh, you're having a really hard time with this. Um, let's talk about why this is, is a valuable thing to pursue. Or, or did you just do that in your head on your own?
1: Um, A little bit of a combination. I'm just inherently a, a problem solver and I kind of, um, go for efficiency and, and okay. think about that a lot. And so some of that is, is, I guess inherent, but, um, but some of that is also just observing my, my mentors and my managers at work that, that were in some of those, um, were higher on the maturity curve as far as kind of agility goes. Right. Okay. And so kind of observing their behavior and how they're interacting with our teams or even me and reflecting on that. Okay. Um, has been, has been helpful in learning kind of how to navigate it myself.
0: Okay. So I'm, um am um, kind of in following that, that line. Um, I'm thinking about times in my past when I've tried to pursue things that somebody was in charge and I was being told to do things that I didn't want to do. And at a younger age, there's no way I was able to see past the misery of what I was stuck in. Like, I know that you rode, so I'm thinking of doing like Ergs or yeah. <laughs> being in the middle of a race when you know you're going to lose and you just, you have to keep doing it anyway. There's yeah. no point there where I'm like, well, what's the larger game that I'm trying to win here? How is this better me as a person? Um, right. Do you think that as your as your son grows, that this is something that you're going to be able to like incorporate into their way of thinking? Because I don't think like my parents, it never would have occurred to them to show me to look for the bigger thing. And and I'm yeah. wondering as a parent if if you're finding ways you can kind of help your son see some of that stuff.
1: Gosh, I hope so. <laughs> it's hard because I mean, you know, I mean and he's 5. So he doesn't look past the next 5 minutes, right? Yeah. So it's it's certainly hard to think about ahead. Um but I think at least just having the conversation might be helpful in the first place. Like I, um, you know, not to get too personal, I wasn't terribly close to my parents. We didn't like have a lot of conversation. It was just kind of like, well, get your homework done because you have to get your homework done. And not a lot of either aspirational or future type of conversations at all. Right. It was just kind of a moment what we needed to do next. And again, I think he's only five, so I guess time will tell. But, um, you know, if I can be continue to be empathetic. If yeah. I can continue to kind of just have the conversation, if I can continue to accept that he might take directions that might not be what I would have hoped, but let him learn from that. Yeah, um, I'm hoping. Who knows? Okay. <laughs> to
0: me, like this is a, is a really important thing to me because it's a it's a way that, that it kind of illustrates how the stuff that we deal with at work and the stuff that we deal with outside of work. Are right. almost the same thing, and when people say like I don't have a place to do this outside of, or I can't do it in work, I can't do it. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> There's so many things that you have to work with. Right. Um, and I
1: mean, and I guess you know, I can think of a like a really basic example of some of that, and it's not well in the future. It's kind of like a now type of situation, but I think you know, again, it's something I deal with literally on a daily basis. So there is a long term maybe gain to that, and okay. how I'm approaching it. Um, which is my kid's bedtime routine. (laughs) And they, every night it's a struggle because they want to watch their TV or they want to keep playing what they're playing and I'm sorry, but it's bedtime and we need to go take a bath. So the transition has been such a struggle every single day. And I'm sitting there reflecting with myself, like, how can I make this better? Like, How do I incentivize them? What are the words that I say? How do I make them feel seen that like, I know it's hard that you're leaving the TV, but like we have to do this, right? Like none of that works. And what I did find is if I transition to a dance party before that, that helps because they're very willing to stop the TV or stop what they're playing with to do a dance party for a few minutes and then they're like kind of tired and done with it. And now we can do bath more easily. So like it removes kind of that friction. And again, if I'm thinking about the outcome here, my, my goal is for them to be like cleaned up and in bed. Right. But like the way we went about it is very different. And if I, in my head had kind of just the solution in mind of like you have to stop TV and go straight to, to bath, we wouldn't have gotten there. So again, it's kind of empathizing, with what they're feeling, how ready they are in the moment, and then just allowing them to kind of, to be your point, you know, rise up a little bit. Yeah. I'm like, okay, maybe it's, maybe it's dance party time and that works for us. Right.
0: Okay. There's a a friend of mine, Braden, kind of we've done a bunch of interviews about this process he came up with where in order to achieve something, he he tries to find the things he has to take out of the equation so that he Mm -hmm. can't say no. And for him, (laughs) he has this story about how he was trying to like read more stuff for work. And he would always never find the time to do it. So he put his Kindle next to his coffee machine so that while he's waiting for the coffee, he's got nothing to do except read. And 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 that kind of goes to that readiness thing you were talking about is how do you find, whether it's at work or it's at home, how do you create a moment where people are open to the next thing that needs to happen?
1: Right. Right.
0: Um, How do you do that with staff when you find people that are resistant to a new way of working or taking on whatever impossible service outages just happened that they have to deal (laughs) with? Um,
1: Yeah, it's hard because sometimes you don't have the time to let them, you know, sit with it and understand kind of where you're coming from. And like, maybe it's the right thing to do. So are there moments where you just kind of have to bring it from the top and just, it is what it is? Absolutely. But again, it's, if you have enough of the moments where you're able to empower and you're able Mm -hmm. to let them kind of rise up, then I think that compensates for those times where you just have to say it is what it is.
0: That's awesome. Um, Okay. (laughs) So, so towards that, you also mentioned celebrating the wins, like the achievements and batching stuff into small pieces. Um, How do you do that with folks at work? Like what kind of wins do you find or help them identify that give them that momentum and that strength to feel like, okay, this was awesome. And even though like right now, this part's going to be difficult, but we just had an awesome thing and we're going to have another awesome thing.
1: Yeah. To me, most of that comes, at least in my opinion, with just recognition of like, hey, we just spent the last three months kind of working on changing our process. And like, look how far we've come look at our metrics whether it's SLAs or you know whatever it is that we set out originally look at our metrics now having that point of of reflection not necessarily to start talking about what could we have done better but just reflection as far as the accomplishments mm-hmm. um you know and they feel seen again i think is is really helpful i mean but then there's always kind of the smaller things of like let's have a team outing and you yeah. know let's get together and and do kind of the more Incentive type of stuff um,
0: okay. to folks. So, what kind of, um, I'm, I'm thinking about retrospectives now, and I'm wondering how you get that information from the teams, like what opportunities they have to say to you, like, this is helping, this is not helping, I need this right now. Like, are there, are you retrospecting on their evolution towards agility, or is it really just, you know, incident by incident? Like, how did they get feedback up to you?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of that also just has to do with the team leads, right? And making sure that they are in a position to consistently not only ask for feedback, but create those relationships with their team members that they feel comfortable enough to kind of surface things that don't work. Um, So, that's one avenue. And then another, especially after a process change and kind of change management type of project. Um, it's having part of our milestones is looking, uh, looking at metrics. It's also, should we send like a survey out, um, to, to the people who were involved in this and kind of ask for their candid feedback. Okay. Um, and it's, you know, kind of, again, a combination of, of ways where we're t- intentional about getting that feedback and making sure that it's not just a process change rollout. And then we forget about you. <laughs>
0: or you enforce it upon them, you inflict agile upon them, and they're going to do it. And then you can tell them they've done it and everything's fine now. Right. Um, (laughs) Regardless of whether or not it actually is. Right. Okay. So I want to ask you a little bit about, um, management of the stuff that you have to do day to day. And, And where I would like to end up just before we start down this path is talking about how you might be coaching people within the organization or, or at home, um, to become more aware of the things they have to do to keep themselves functional and running. Um, I know that you, you know, we've talked before about how you have a lot of stuff on your plate and you make conscious choices about certain things you do, which aren't always obvious to other people. Right. Why those things are important. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Um, yeah. So, I mean, I guess on a personal level and, and we can get into work maybe later, but <laughs> um, on a personal level, for me what that translates into is being conscious of the things that I have to do whether it's kind of on a daily basis or a weekly basis right everybody has their has their checklist and kind of like in scrum where we release plan and we plan ahead and we, you know we, we're thinking about our outcomes I do that a little bit personally to then see like look at my list and kind of think of maybe the the impact of some of these things and whether it's kind of doing the laundry and if I don't do it for a couple more days I will not have underwear to wear or if I don't go the, to the gym then I'm going to be super grumpy later about it <laughs> um prioritizing those things based on kind of that impact so yeah. you know I may go to the gym because I don't want to be grumpy later but there's still a ton of stuff to do around the house that I never got around to along with my just actual job that I have to do right um so that's kind of been my, my approach to kind of prioritization.
0: I, think, the personal. I mean, That's really an important thing that a lot of people, including myself lose sight of is that we have so much stuff to do and we often disregard. I mean, I always think of it like, if I'm a machine, I disregard the maintenance of the machine in order to try to get the work yeah. done. And, and everybody around me suffers because of that. Um, yeah. Alistair Coburn, one of the people that wrote the Agile Manifesto, we did an interview one time and he said to me that one of the big lessons for him was he realized there's an infinite number of things he's not going to be able to do. Right. No matter how much he does, there's something that didn't get done. So it's about picking the things that will allow him to show up and really be there and do the, be the best version of himself for the stuff that he's doing. So maybe if it is going to the gym or whatever, um, that does sometimes need to take precedence over emptying the dishwasher or whatever it is, because that right. allows you to be fully engaged with the people you're around.
1: Absolutely. And I think it's even it's even more critical for, for moms and the working moms who have to juggle the work and the life and, you know, the home and the kids and all of the things. And a lot of those things are emotionally draining, whether it's, you know, yeah. at work with the people at work or at kid, you know, with dealing with the kids, right. Especially when they're, well, I don't want to say especially when they're young, because I'm sure there's other other emotions. No, it's draining. worse when they're young. It's worse when they're young. <laughs> Is it? Okay. Well, all right. Well, that's good. That's good. There's hope at the end of the, at the end of the tunnel. So, um, but yeah, I think, you know, definitely moms, I think lose, it's easy to lose sight of kind of the things that you need to make sure that you can show up and, and function yeah. in the best way and not like totally lose it if the kid says,
0: you know, one word. Yeah. But that's so that's a great, another great example of how like you have a backlog of stuff that has to be prioritized. And how you determine the value of those things can be very, very important. And I think a lot of people, moms, dads, like anybody or at work,
1: right? We
0: we get so fixated on doing all the things that other people want from us that we neglect what we have to do to to really be there.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. And we also not only that, but we also I think at least uh, my personality a little bit is too. Of like, I, I want to make sure that I'm being the best in every possible avenue, um, um, whether it's you know being a mom, whether it's at work, right? And I think that can kind of get you in a in a trap as well. But having prioritize the things that I have to do and sort of kind of that that impact and value type of way, um, has helped me relinquish some of those feelings of that I have to be the best. Because okay. depending on on the impact of certain things, maybe, maybe that's not, maybe that's not the outcome I'm actually looking for. Yeah. Or,
0: or maybe the outcome that you're getting is enough. I mean, if your kid right. reaches a certain age and they're not in jail and they haven't burned anything down, <laughs> like, all right, that's a win. Um right. Right. How do you how do you kind of convey that or create space for people at work to do that? I mean that because that would have to be a pretty intentional thing in a business where you have SLAs that have to be met.
1: Oh, that's an interesting question.
0: How do do you think that the people that work in your organization are they aware of the need to do that?
1: So I think one way of thinking about. Answering that question is also whether your organizational is intentional with their strategic goals and objectives, and whether or not the people from top all the way down are not only aware of those, but are making sure that their actions are in line with those, right? So that they're not wasting time on the things that don't bring value and that are not aligned to the objectives that you're trying to reach as a company. And so it's kind of like making sure everyone's aligned on those things so that the actions are accordingly.
0: And creating space so that at a micro level, they can understand what needs to be done, but also understand that they're, they're a system that has to be maintained as well.
1: Right. And then I think it also helps recognize what their impact towards that is, right? Okay.
0: So within the teams, I guess, one of the things I'm always trying to help people keep in mind is that if I'm on a team and I'm on one now where we have this, um, I assume that everybody I'm working with is putting forth their best effort and, and doing whatever they can. And if somebody's not showing up for a particular moment, there's a reason. And I trust that they have a reason and they're going to be back as soon as they can, but it's hard to keep that in mind all the time. Um, especially when there's a lot of pressure and, and heat coming down. And I'm wondering, like how do you kind of catch that and remind yourself they are doing everything they can. It's not that I need to go like bring the hammer down and force them to do stuff.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's a good question. Cause it is hard, especially um, having kind of the bird's eye view of the organization and you're seeing the kind of the, the, the factory running as a whole. And you see this one little part that isn't, working, cr- right? You know, you're yeah. like, Oh, I want to, I want to poke at it and make it work better. Right. But it's, <laughs> I want to optimize you. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult, but it's again, just taking a step back and to your point, recognizing like they'll, they'll be back when they can, but it's also yeah. putting somewhat of those, uh, maybe guardrails in place, making sure people, you know, not only understand what's expected of them, but also right. That impact to the larger organization, um, which I think continues to, hopefully continues to help motivate people to sh- show back up when they're able to, right? Yeah. And that we're having these relationships with our teams to bring up issues when there are any and things like that. So
0: for the folks that are listening, this is, a, I think, an important thing because we're talking about creating a very intentional approach to how you engage with people and creating mm-hmm. a space where they can say, like, I need help, I can't do this. I can do this, whatever. And that's very different from the way that I learned to manage work when I learned about traditional project management, where it was just like, do the thing um, and do it like this or it's wrong. And and this creates that opportunity you talked about for people to become empowered and take, find a way to take ownership of stuff and really kind of show up at a level that you wouldn't have gotten out of the other way of working.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely a snowball effect to all of that of kind of once you start hearing people and empathizing with people, once you start giving them the opportunity to, to be empowered, to make certain decisions. Um, and it may not be like at large, now you're the owner of your own role and you decide everything that you do, right. It's not, it's not, maybe not that level, but, you know, starting small and kind of, like I said, snowballing on it a little bit.
0: And yeah. that's the same thing with raising kids, too. You, you help them <laughs> step into more responsibility and ownership as they as they get older. And then hopefully right. someday you can go away for the weekend and they won't burn the house down. And
1: hopefully. that'll be a good thing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> so what advice do you have for people that, I mean, I get all these people in class that say, like, I don't have a, a scrum project. Um, I don't have an opportunity to do this stuff. What advice do you have for those folks to be able to see the places where they can start to use some of these practices?
1: Yeah, um I think I think it's it's bringing it to your consciousness and noticing in the first place is a helpful okay. place to start. Don't take any action right away, don't try to overthink or analyze. Literally just almost be a a third party to your day-to-day life <laughs> and kind of observe for a little while and see maybe where are those opportunities that you can insert a couple of the things that resonate with you, um, a little bit more. And then over time, try to like, just gently pick at it. Right. And gently start, um, picking things up in those areas that maybe you've identified that are, that either you're already doing it and like, cool. Yay. I'm I'm already doing it. Right. Or I could use it.
0: I think that third party thing that you just mentioned is a really big deal too, because it's it's sometimes hard to remember to like step out of the stream and just look at what's going and be like, why am I reacting like this right now? Like what the hell is happening here? And yeah. then, you know, what, what changes do you need to make so that you can perform better in whatever situation you're in?
1: Yeah. I mean, and it's hard. It's it's hard. I'm, you know, I'm still working at it, but I think again, just being conscious of it is already a huge step in, awesome. in kind of getting it done. So
0: this was great i really appreciate you doing this especially since we had to start so many different times um
1: (laughs) no absolutely
0: if people want to reach out to you to learn more about the work that you're doing um what's the best way for them to do that
1: uh yeah either email or linkedin either one
0: okay i'll make sure we have uh links to that in the show notes and to your company as well and thank you very much for doing this
1: thank you for having me